Amen. Amen. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Jeff Luddington, and I have the privilege of teaching most weeks as a lead pastor here at Generations Church. And we will be in Exodus chapter 11. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's just a few pages in. It's the second book of the Bible. We will start in the 11th chapter. So in today's culture, this uh, coronavirus sequester season that we're in, things are just different. And uh, there are people that are just experiencing a higher level of anxiety, uh, fear, stress. Um, I know there's been job loss. I know that others who still have their jobs are working a ton because the job requires that. Maybe people have transitioned to working online. Uh, maybe, maybe people are in non-essential roles and they're fearful of losing what they have. Or they're in essential roles and they're being worked even harder. And so I know that this season is different. And starting next Sunday, we move into holidays. We're Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And we'll be, we'll be doing some services in the middle of the week leading up to Easter that'll be unique and, and one-off. But starting next Sunday, we move into holidays and, and really holiday messages, things that we focus on the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and then uh, the final week of his life, his death and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to spend one more week just talking about the season that we're in. And so this week, I, I want to look at finding God in tragedy. And so I, I went back and forth on the title of that, finding God in tragedy or seeing God in tragedy. How do we how do we see God moving in the midst of these things? So if you're a note taker, here it is. Uh, we can't always see God in hard times, but we can trust that God has a plan for his glory and for our good. And so whether we need to find where God is in this or whether we just need to see God in our circumstances, we can't always see everything that God is doing, right? But we can trust that God has a good plan and that his plan is for his glory and for our good. And so even in this moment, even in this crazy season, even in this where more is unknown than is known, we can rest in him. And so I want to I look at a, a passage of scripture in Exodus. And this is really God's people have been enslaved in a, in a nation called Egypt. Egypt at this point is an empire that is the largest and most powerful on the planet. And God has called a man named Moses, a, a person who really is a least likely person. Moses was raised in Egypt, but he is Hebrew. He is an Israelite. He was raised there in the palace under Pharaoh. But then, after murdering an Egyptian, he is on the run out in the desert, and God calls him to go back into Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, the most powerful human being on the planet, to let God's people, uh, set God's people free and let them go. And so that's the context of the story. So we'll start out in Exodus uh, in the first verse. But I want to give you this. There is a bit of rep uh, repetition today. The, what happens is, is God tells Moses. Moses tells Pharaoh. Moses then goes and tells the people. And then the people actually do it. So there's like four tellings of the same thing. And so it tells it in a little different ways. But I'm going to use just kind of larger verses today. We're just going to read through a little bit more. Um, well, we've been live streaming, we're trying to shrink it down a bit. Um, but today we're just going to move a little quicker through the passages because it does repeat. So we'll start in verse 1. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here. 
When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. And so this is like picking up in the middle of a movie somewhere. I just recently saw, as it was released on demand, I just recently saw the new Star Wars. And imagine if you saw this movie and you had no idea who Darth Vader is. There's so many references. You see his burned up mask, you hear his name, you hear about this family, but you don't know who it is. And it makes those things less important or less understandable. And so I feel like we're picking up in the middle of a story here. We're picking up on the 10th plague. And so if you're unfamiliar with this, what happens is God tells Moses, as I said earlier, to go back in, speak to Pharaoh, tell him, if you don't let my people, if you don't set my people free, let them go, I'm going to cause plagues over all of Egypt. And God sends these plagues over the entire empire or the entire nation of Egypt. And there's things like turning the Nile into blood. There's flies, there's locusts, there's all these things. And they afflict the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh at times says, okay, fine, take the people and go. And then when they get ready to go, Pharaoh says, nope, stop. And he, and he enslaves them and he puts them into harder work. He makes them do even more with less resources. And he keeps persecuting the people. And so more plagues, more plagues. So nine have already taken place. And God says to Moses, go, this is the final plague. This is the one that will do it. This will be the final plague. So I need you to go and tell Pharaoh this is the one. Verse 2, God continues speaking to Moses. He says, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So here's what happens. God tells Moses, I want you to go in and I want you to tell Pharaoh there's, there's a plague coming, the final plague. This is the one that will actually cause Pharaoh to release the people. But before you do that, I want you to tell the people to go to all the Egyptians around them and ask them to give them money. And so imagine this setting, they're slaves in Egypt and they're to go to the Egyptians and they're going to ask them for money. And believe it or not, they get it. It says that they, are, they have favor in the sight of the Egyptians and Pharaoh's servants and the people. Even Moses is held of high stature. And so what happens is really, kind of from a 10,000 foot view, God pays Israel, the slaves in Israel, funds what he is going to do next. As they are going to be released and they're going to go out and they're going to form a new nation, God funds it through the people in Egypt. And so I just want to ask this question today. There's a lot of unknowns in front of us. We don't know when this virus is going to peak. We, we don't know what it will eventually look at. We're here in Southern California, one of the harder hit places. And as everybody else is talking about maybe the economy can get back going on Easter, we're being told April or May is, is probably, we're going to be in the same kind of place we are now for longer. So as a church, we're committed to being online through the end of April. Uh, and so we don't really know where things will start and stop. We don't know how they'll play out. Neither did the people in Israel, and the people in Egypt, the Israel, the Hebrew slaves. They had no idea how it would play out. But God begins to do things in the midst of them. He actually has the Egyptians give them money, gold, silver. He finances their next move, even while they're still slaves. So let me ask you this, what might God be doing in and through us right now that we can't see? 
What is it that God might be doing extraordinary or extravagant in this moment? Something that we can't even see or imagine right now. What might God be doing through his church? Verse 4, Moses now goes to Pharaoh to repeat what God has said. And says, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, at about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So the final plague. God says, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, here comes the final plague. So now Moses is standing in front of Pharaoh, and he's telling Pharaoh, here's the final plague. God is going to go through in the middle of the night, right around midnight, God is going to go through, he's going to sweep through Egypt, and he is going to kill the firstborn of every Egyptian, be it a rich person or a poor person, every firstborn of the cattle, they will all die in one night. There will be mass death. And I didn't choose this for the parallel of people dying from the virus, but just imagine tragedy, whatever tragedy might be, whether it affects us, it affects our nation, it affects those around us, whatever it might be. I'm not suggesting this is what it's going to look like. And honestly, we don't know. And so I'd rather stay in that place where we don't know what's going to happen and we're not saying it'll look like this, but I would say this, there's a tragedy about to take place in Egypt, and there are two people, two groups of people, and God makes a distinction between them. God makes a distinction between his people, his followers, the faithful, and those who are the Egyptians who are not followers of his. It says not even a dog will growl against his faithful. Now again, I, I, wanna, I just want to underline this for a minute. I'm not suggesting that if you're a follower of Jesus that nothing will happen to you in this season. What I'm saying is God makes a distinction between those who follow him, those who follow Jesus, Christians, those who have given their life over to following Jesus, and those who do not. And God has a unique way of caring for his people. And in this moment, some 3,500 years ago, God says this, I make a distinction between those who live for me and those who live against me. And so if you're listening today and you're just trying to find that hope, here's that first place. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, God says this, I make a distinction between you and everyone else. And I will be with you. And I will be present with you. I will care for you. I will walk you through this season, no matter what the outcome. God says he is with you. So know that you are distinct. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then We'll give you that opportunity today. We'll tell you about that and tell you what that means. But just understand that there's hope found in Christ, even in the midst of tragedy. Israel, at this point, are enslaved to another nation. And every time Pharaoh doesn't release them when he said he was going to, he makes it harder on them. And so even if you're a follower of God, sometimes things are hard. Anyone who tells you, hey, if you just say this prayer and you follow Jesus or whatever, everything's going to be great. Uh, They're not telling you the whole story. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's always hopeful. It's always fulfilling, and God is always present, even in the hard times. Verse 8 says this, this is Moses again speaking to Pharaoh, so, and all these your servants shall come down to me, 
and bow down to me saying, get out and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. I want you to hear this. Pharaoh will not listen to you, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In this moment where God tells Moses, this is the final plague, this is what will happen, go in and tell Pharaoh, Moses does this, he tells Pharaoh. And it says that Pharaoh does not listen, and it goes so far as to say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God does something that looks exactly like the opposite of what he says he's going to do. It's not opposite. In fact, it is in line with. But sometimes what God does doesn't make sense to us always. So here's a note for you. If you're a note taker, let's do this. God has a plan beyond our understanding. Whether we can comprehend how a pandemic that we're in right now can be used by God or not, our call is to lift our eyes to God alone. Our job as followers of Jesus are to lift our eyes to him alone. We don't have to understand everything that God is doing. We don't even have to see everything that God is doing. What we need to do is lift our eyes up to God, trusting in God that God has a good plan, that God has a hope and a future prepared for us. Verse 3, we're going to start in Exodus 12, verse 3. We're just going to skip a couple verses. Verse 3, tell all the, this is, by the way, Moses telling now the Jewish people. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Just, they're going to take a lamb according to what will feed them. And poor people or folks that couldn't afford or couldn't eat a whole lamb. They're going to partner up with their neighbors, and they're going to have this lamb. So verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take from it from the sheep and, or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So here's the story, and if you're familiar with the Bible, this is, this is the Passover. This is where God will pass over his faithful people as he strikes death all over Egypt. And so here's what he says here. He says, your families, you're going to get together, and you're going to bring a one-year-old unblemished lamb. In other words, you're going to bring your best to God. And that has a lot of implications for us today. Do we bring our best as you're sitting at home, maybe you're in your living room right now, maybe you're live streaming from work, whatever you're doing. But even in this, this is church where two or more gather. Jesus says, there I am in the midst of you. Jesus isn't limited by time or space or location. He's not limited by in-person or internet. He is gathering with us. This is the church. The building that I'm in is not the church. We are the church. And so God says this, listen, I want you, as you gather together, here's what I'm going to do for you, Right? Here's how you shall do this. And when we gather together for God, we bring our best, whether that be in our service, whether that be in our time, whether that be in our givings, our offerings, our tithes, whatever it might be, 
even if it's just bringing our best in worship or our hearts wide open to hear God's word, we bring our best when we gather for church. And that's what he's saying. Bring a one-year-old spotless lamb. You'll gather together. And here's what you're going to do. When it comes time, you're going to keep this lamb with you for about a week. And at the end of that week, what you're going to do is you're going to slaughter that lamb. And I just want to give you a bit of a visual. It's kind of gross. I get it, but bear with me. You're going to slaughter that lamb in the doorway of your home. And so just imagine that you kill that lamb and it bleeds into kind of a, what, in this era, there'd be kind of this, this dip between the outside and the inside that would allow for things to kind of pool there instead of washing in and out. And so they're going to slaughter that lamb right there where it's going to kind of pool some blood. And they're to take the blood and they're going to paint the two sides of the door that goes into their home and the lintel, the top, the header, if you will, of the door. And so they're going to do this. And I just, I want you to know that there would be this blood on the outside of this Hebrew family's door. And, and if you want to get this image, what you can do is you can see there's kind of a cross between header and footer and left and right. There's this cross over these doors. And now, I, I, I don't want to say that, I want to get too far ahead, but yes, of course, it's foreshadowing Christ to come. Very, the very same things we will talk about on Good Friday. That this is the precursor to that. This is an image 1,500 years before that happens to remind people that shed blood is the covering for sin. And so when God does this, just imagine if you're an Israelite slave, a Hebrew slave, imagine that you're doing this. This makes no sense. Why would I put blood on my doorpost? Why would I put it on the lintel? Why would I do this? And sometimes, again, God doesn't make sense to us all the times. On the other side of it, everybody understands. But right there in the midst of everything, sometimes it's just hard to see what God is doing. It's like this right now. Imagine this. I was doing ministry when 9-11 took place. In fact, we were a part of a very large church, and I remember 9-11 like it was yesterday. If, if you were an adult or, or old enough to understand what was going on, you probably know where you were when you heard it. You probably remember watching the news. Again, 24-hour news cycle like coronavirus. It was all that. But we heard about the first plane hitting a building, and then we watched as the second plane hit and as the, as the buildings fell. I get chills right now, even just remembering that moment. But what we did is we turned and we opened up the doors to the church, and people flooded in. People came in to pray. People filled the seats on Sundays. We had multiple services, and every service was packed. Because in times like this, people turned to the church. But now, here we are, coronavirus, and the church is closed. We've got less than 10 people in the building. And I remember when we said, okay, we're going to go online only. Some of the things we had to think through are, how are we going to be with people? How are we going to be available to people who need hope right now? And so, fortunately, we have Facebook Live. We have video chat platforms like Zoom and other things. And so we found a way to be a church. But how, much does, it, how, how does it make sense for God to have us as a church be, be called to rise up in this situation, and yet we can't even open our doors. Sometimes the way God moves, it doesn't always make sense at first. But then, as you walk through it, as you do it, it makes more sense. Right now we have more people live streaming than we normally would have attending. And so we're able to care for people differently. Some are uncomfortable stepping foot in a church, and yet they feel comfortable maybe live streaming from home. So again, as we walk through things, 
God reveals how even though they don't make sense up front, they make sense eventually. Verse 8. They shall eat of the flesh at night. This is about the lamb. The people shall eat of the flesh at night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its leg, its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. Listen, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. So they're going to literally barbecue this lamb, and they have a meal prescribed to them. But they're not to do this at night like ready for bed. They're, they're to do this ready to go. God says when this takes place, be ready. Eat it in haste. Be ready to go when I call you to go. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God says, have this meal, prepare for this, slaughter this lamb, take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the header. Again, prefiguring Christ to come. Do this. They didn't know that at the time. They just knew what God had said. Again, you fast forward many generations, and all of a sudden it starts to make sense. But as they do this, what happens is those, that are, those, those people that are God's people and are faithful to God, they slaughter the lamb, they paint their doors, they paint the top of the door, and then they go in and at night they have this meal, they celebrate this Passover meal, this feast, if you will. And then at midnight, God strikes through all of Egypt and the firstborn of every household, the firstborn of every herd, the firstborn of every family dies all in one night. But God passes over, that's where we get the word, passes over those that are his people, the Hebrew slaves. He passes over those who have the blood on their doors. And they are safe, they are rescued from death in Egypt. So blood on the doors, if you're a note taker. Blood-covered doorposts were never meant to save anyone. It was a way for the faithful to show their reliance on God and point us forward to Jesus. So I want you to hear this. The blood on the doorpost didn't save them. It was their way of displaying their faithfulness to God. God saves them, right? God passes over them. This just displays their faithfulness. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just share this with you. The gospel is very simple. It's very easy to get a hold of. It has unending implications in our life. The gospel is not something we ever move on from. It's the very power that keeps us in our faith. It's the very power that continues to transform us in Christ. But the gospel is this, that there's a God who created you and loves you. There's a God who desires relationship with you, made you, built you, designed you to be in relationship with him. That God loves you. But sin, human sin, from the fir our first parents all the way up into us, human sin separates us from God. And so our sin and the sin of our generations before us have drove a wedge between us and God. In fact, that's the very reason why we see things like sickness and death. It is the wages of sin, says Romans, that our death is the wage of sin or the cause of death is sin. 
But the gift of God is eternal life. He's speaking about Jesus entering into human history. So God, knowing that there's this wedge between him and humanity, that the wedge, the gap of sin, cannot be overcome by a human being because we're fallen and we're broken. As hard as we try, we'll never be sinless. And God requires someone to be sinless, to be in his presence. And so God covers the gap. So Jesus, the Son of God, enters into human history, both fully God and fully human, enters into human history. He lives a sinless life and then eventually dies the death that you and I deserve, a death on a cross. Again, imagine the doorway in Egypt as Jesus stretches out his hands and he bleeds from head and from hands and from side and from foot. You can see that imagery all the way back in the doors of Egypt. But that death is so that God will pass over us. God will not pour out his judgment on us who are sinful, that anyone who is in Christ will have their sins forgiven and that God will love them, restore that relationship. And so let me, let me say this, God loves you and that all of us are sinful. So all of us that, are, that, are, that call ourselves a part of this church, we know more than anyone, we're sinful, we're broken, we still continue to make mistakes. But Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead to not only cover our sins, but give us new life. And so that in Jesus' resurrection, as he rose from the dead three days later, the very thing we will celebrate in two weeks, that gives us new life. And in this moment, it gives us hope. In this moment, it gives us courage. It gives us strength. It gives us community. And so the gospel is this, that you would know God through Christ and no forgiveness, and that you would walk in the power of the resurrection. And so if you're not a follower of, to Jesus, it's, it, uh, of Jesus today, it's that simple. That you would ask Jesus to forgive your sin and that you would begin to follow him. That you would come and be a part of a church when all this is over. That you would find a local church, whether that's here or our online service or a local church in your neighborhood. That you would begin to find a Bible teaching church and follow Jesus. John 1.29 says this, The next day he, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus enters into human history, a prophet named John sees Jesus from afar, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of this 1,500-year-old tradition of Passover that God will pass over our sin, that God will pass, his wrath will pass over us, his judgment will pass over us if we are identified by the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there is hope, not only eternally, but there is hope today. So the passage goes on, verse 14, it says this, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast so again, there's a lot of repetition, so I just want to use some of the verses we've already read, some of the uniqueness, and I want to give you some application today. So verse 15, seven days you will eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For anyone who eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So here's a note for you, drawing near to Jesus. Sometimes God calls us to go without for a season for the purpose of drawing us nearer. How will you use this sequester time to draw near to Jesus? God tells them, during this season, I want you to take away some of what you would normally eat. I want you to abstain from that. I want you to go without. 
And during that season, I will, you will press into me and I will press into you. That relationship will draw nearer. And so as we have this moment right here, as we are safer at home or sequestered or whatever term you prefer, we have an opportunity to draw near to Jesus. Verse 16, on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. So what God says in this moment, make sure you both worship and rest. And so if you're a note taker, finding rest or amid tragedy, God says to refrain from work on certain days and hold assemblies like worship. In this sequester time, are you putting God first and finding rest for yourselves? You don't know how many people I know that whose jobs have shifted and they've become even busier in this season. I've talked to many pastors, and one of them just posted on Facebook this morning, he hasn't had a day off since the 14th when we all announced we were going digital. And he said that he finally yesterday took a day off. And so some people have lost work, and they're scrambling to do things. Some people, their work has become more. And I would say this, no matter which category you fit in, no matter how life is going, do you set aside a day to worship, to attend a church this way, to rest your body and connect with God? Verse 17, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, and on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a traveler or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, this may sound like a kind of an odd way that God speaks to them, or leaven is the thing that makes bread rise. And so they're to eat these flat breads, less flavorful, different. But leaven all throughout Scripture is this image of sin. Leaven, just a little bit of leaven, will, will, will fill an entire uh, loaf of bread, or whatever you would make with it, it it consumes everything. And so there's this image that God gives Israel of leaven being like sin. And so this moment where they are, they're being called to do everything without leaven, to eat unleavened bread. And so I would call the church to repentance in this. So practicing repentance, human death from old age to viral outbreaks are the result of human sin throughout history. Seeing the impact of sin should cause the church to repent. So here's what I'm saying. In this, we have this season, we have this moment, and just as God spoke to Israel while they were captive in in Egypt, and he called themselves to remove all the leaven in their home, he reminded them to practice repentance. And so as a church, how do we repent? How do we, as the church, remind ourselves that we have sin and we turn from sin? It's so easy to sit at home and get lost in all this and miss an opportunity to repent in this season. Let the church be a people who turn from sin in this season. Let us lead by humbling ourselves and repenting. Let us lead by turning from sin. Verse 21, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptian. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter into your houses and strike you. 
So prior to this, there was instruction to Moses, there was a warning to Pharaoh, there was instruction to the people, and now it's go time. Now it is time for them to go and to do this. Verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you, or a rule, or a practice for you, and for your sons forever. Note the generational implications in faithfulness. Verse 25, and when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. God says in the midst of this, he says, listen, when I'm done with this, I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to take you to the place that I've prepared for you. I've even funded it because all the Egyptians have paid you already. Pharaoh's going to release you because what I will do. And then I will take you to a land I've prepared for you. And when I do that, every year you will celebrate this moment. God gives them hope. So again, if you're a note taker, God provides hope. Right before God liberates enslaved Israel, all they can do and trust in his promises. We find hope in God's faithfulness, not our current circumstances. We find hope today in our season, in our struggle, in the trials we're enduring. We find hope in God's faithfulness, not our current circumstances. No matter what they are, we find hope in God, not our current circumstances. Verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Meaning when they practice Passover. You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people in Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. I want you to see their response. In this, the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Worship is always the response God calls for when God moves in our lives. We should always be a people who are bowed or humbled and worshipful of God. I'll close with this, verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from all the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Listen to that. For there was not a house where someone was not dead in Egypt. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. I want you to just imagine now, as the people... Here's the command, up, go, serve. Get up, now is the time, go, leave Egypt and serve the Lord your God. In them doing this, they had to walk through a wailing and, and, and suffering and mourning Egypt. And they had images that they had to see. They saw images of death. They, they saw images of judgment. But they also saw images of salvation and redemption for them. In this moment, it's what we fix our eyes on that matters. Are we fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Are we fixing our eyes on God who is always faithful and bring hope? Or are we fixing our eyes on cable news or the circumstances around us, drawing us into anxiety and fear? Here's what I would say. Generations Church and all you who are joining us today, where are you going to look during this season are you going to look up to God and find a new way to worship God, to turn from sin, to press in, find new ways to work and rest, to live in your families and worship? What will you do in this season? 
Will you allow this to be a season where God draws you in nearer? Generations Church, that's my heart. I hope that you will press into God, that you will grow deeper in your faith, and that you will join us as we worship, as we meet even tonight, as we pray together. Let this be a place where we turn to God. Will you pray with me? God, as we, as we consider our current circumstances, Lord, let us lift our eyes up above, up above that. Let us lift our eyes above the rules, uh, the, the, the orders to stay inside. Let us lift our eyes above the stock ticker that shows the numbers of our retirements or investments or whatever going up and going down, going up and going down. Let us lift our eyes up above the amount of cases in the world or in our country or in our state. Let us lift our eyes above the death, Lord, and let us see you. And let us press into you for hope. Let us draw near to you for rest. Let us find our place in our faith right now. And God, I pray for all of those who today say, I want to follow Jesus. I, don't, I wouldn't call myself a follower of Jesus. I want to do that. I, God, I pray that you would meet them wherever they are, in their home, in their car, in their workplace, whatever it might be. God, will you use this moment, your word, not mine. My words do nothing. Your words give life. And, and, and so God, will you, through this, through this, this internet medium, if you will, will you touch their lives, Lord? For those that are fearful, will you give them hope? For those that are anxious, will you give them peace, God? For those that are suffering, may they find that the church is here to care for them, Lord. Help us to reach out to the needs of people, Lord, as a church. Let us, let us know the need and, and let them know that we love them, whoever they are, whether they're someone who calls this church home or, or is new, is our guest. But God, in this moment, may your church rise up. May your church all over the world, rise up and care for people, meeting, meeting the needs of people. Jesus, just as you entered into our story and you met all of our needs, let us go and do the same to others. So Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.